It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Eric, I just wanted to start by saying I really like that shirt, and I feel like I've seen it uh, more than once recently uh, in these episodes. So, are I'm, you expecting me to return the favor and go? No, I, really I just was. Like I that shirt. no, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a pitch oh, for a okay. compliment. I just want to say I do. I do like that shirt. Well, and it is the same shirt that we've worn for all the other episodes. Because do you want to explain that? Or no, do you want please, me to? by all means. Okay. So we are in the middle of a remodel project here at Ellerslie. And uh, so our team out there has to be quiet while we're recording in here, which is not that easy when you have things like jackhammers and and mowers and things like that that are needing to go on out there. So we figured we would give a gift to them by getting this all consolidated into one day where we just recorded all of our Daily Thunders for this series. And but then we can keep our same outfit on. So it's sort of fun for you and I to be in the same outfit for six episodes. That's true. And it's actually been a really neat blessing. If you've been miss, if you missed the last several episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen because when you're hearing these stories of just God's faithfulness and, and even the difficulty of starting a ministry like Ellerslie, having just been in these seats, just listening and just pondering afresh has been really just deeply edifying for my soul. Uh, so this has been actually fun just doing it in one day yeah. for a variety of reasons. Eric, I'd love to jump into the fact that Ellerslie's starting. It's now 2010. Students are now starting to sign up. Could you just kind of walk us through those beginning stages of yeah. this thing actually launching after 17 years of prayer and, and preparation? Uh, it, was, it was an extraordinary faith step. I remember a key moment, very defining moment for my soul when this man was staring across from me and he said, Eric, this is not viable. Which by the way, if you don't know what viable means, it means this can't work. Which I'm sure was encouraging. Oh yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, And I said, I know it will. And I have had, God gave me faith for this project and he's given me faith for it to continue. And there are moments, as you well know, where it seemed like Ellerslie can't keep going. Most most of the time it's just financial, uh, where it's a lot to sustain something like this because we don't have the backing of a denomination. One of our strengths is that we're not denominational, but one of our vulnerabilities is that we don't have a denomination underwriting us. So we've never had that. We have God. And if God doesn't underwrite us, well, we're done. It's that simple. And that's been it's created a beautiful dependency in what we do because our goal, if we could give away every spot and everyone that wants to come to Ellerslie just can, which is our goal. That's what we try and do. If you want to come and you can't pay for it, we still want you to come. And yet the high level of risk that is involved in that is, well, it's risky only if God doesn't exist. <laughs> but if we truly believe that God is behind this and that he wants them here, well, let's put our money where our mouth is. And that's that's the great experiment of Ellerslie right there. But when it's starting, okay, so we get this, this campus that I, I've described in the previous episodes, which I made an offer on multiple years before, then by the time it's now available, where the, the wedding business that was functioning here is now facing extreme financial crisis, and they need to sell the campus. So now he comes to me, he knows that I, I want the campus, 
And instead of saying, yes, I'll buy it, I do the strangest thing. I said, I'll rent it. And even when it was coming out of my mouth, it's like, what am I saying? Of course I should try and buy it. I don't have any money, but I'll rent it. And he's like, no, I'll sell it to you. I go, I'll rent it from you. And so here I've been praying for this thing for so long, and now I'm negotiating where the guy could just go, no, I'll find someone else to buy it. And he knew I was his best client because he it's not very easy to find a buyer for a college a Bible college campus. And so I started by renting the dorms because he said, okay, I'll rent you the dorms. And then uh, I said, okay, done. And so I started by renting the dorms. What do you do with dorms and not, not having an admin building, not having a, a, a chapel for teaching in? I mean, we should have seen some of the gymnastics routines we were having to go through. No, no kitchen facilities. No, no kitchen. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it was, um, a unique decision, I will say it that way. And but I knew God was going to give us this whole campus, and uh, so uh, it, I'll, I'll try and fill in that detail. But let's let's put it in the the gap where we need to now start recruiting students. We need to start announcing that we're doing this. So back in late two thousand nine, I'd say September somewhere in there, we start communicating with our base. Because remember, we traveled around the world. We have a, a large audience that has followed us, that has asked for discipleship, asked for more after the, our, our, uh, our events. And we just didn't have anything more to give them other than more books. And now we have something. And so people start signing up. And that's an administrative challenge in and of itself is dealing with registrations. and But the amount of money we need to sustain even just the dorms, because this is a very expensive thing to rent. If you, it's like renting a couple hotels <laughs> without any revenue coming in, and so I remember looking at a business plan on this. And this is, uh, you know, when someone's going to say to me, "This is not viable." Where do you think that's happening? That's happening right in this time, where somehow we need to make it through this window of time, where we need to. We can't get money until we have students, but we can't get students until we have a location. It's like, Lord, did you think this through? I mean, this is a, uh, you know, cart, horse, uh, you know, chicken, egg type of a thing. We need money. Then we can get a facility. Then we can wait for the students to, you know, take their time and just show up. And then they can pay and then everything becomes a workable system. We didn't have that luxury. We had to spend great amounts of money that we did not have in faith <laughs> to say, okay, I'm going to lease this. I'm going to lease two hotels is basically the concept of it. And then I'm trying to get the other part of the campus. This campus is, it's a small campus, but it's a campus. And it's not the type of thing that, you know, Eric and Leslie Ludi just go off and buy, you know, in their you know, spare time. It's like, it's a hobby. Let's just go and buy a campus. And so most people are not able to do that. And we, are, we fall into that category too. So I remember seeing on, the, on our business plan that the month of February, we would run out of money. And the fact that we even had enough money to make it to February, still supernatural. That's a story in and of itself that I'm not sharing. But we had enough to make it to February, but we needed to get to May or June, actually, May 31st, uh, May 30th. How many days are in May? 31. 31. Yes. I was going to do my little song, my jingle with that. So we need to get it. We need to get to June, basically. But May 31st was banquet night. Is that right? And so this is 2010. February is uh, the time when, and so here's what I did all February. I didn't look at my bank account. <laughs> I know it's probably not the wise like ostrich thing. principle yeah. of just, yeah. I won't look at it. It's fine. And when I looked back at it in March, strangest thing, we never ran out of money. 
and I don't know that that's the secret is to not look at your bank account. I'm not necessarily encouraging that that was my defense measure at the time. It was so heavy upon me at that time. And I was still learning to walk through because I'd learned how to walk through individual faith tests before I was married, like not having anything, not having food and watching God provide. And then you get married and it's like it multiplies. Now I feel responsible for my wife. I don't want to just call her to a life of faith. Then you have kids. It's like, oh, and then you have a ministry, but that ministry mainly affects you. And, you know, you're eating, you're it, now it's like people coming out, people spending money and actually coming into an environment and people working alongside me like a staff and a team. <gasps> and the weights were heavier than I'd ever carried. But our, our money in the bank never dropped below. And it was a pretty high number. If I were to give it to you, I'm not going to give the number because it sounds like monopoly money when you're dealing with uh, ministry or business finances, but it was surprisingly sustained. And if you ask me how, I don't know that I have an answer for you. That February of 2010 is a miracle month to me that I still to this day do not have a clear answer for other than, okay, we made it. Because what's going to start happening is we're going to start getting deposits and, and tuition money that starts to come in from that point. And though we don't have a lot, we're like propping this thing up. We make it. We make it somehow through all of that. And there's so much drama in this time. Like we used to travel the world and speak to tens of thousands. Now, if I was the devil and I saw Eric and Leslie speaking to tens of thousands, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the clear word of truth, and I saw them starting a discipleship training where you're going to have, what was our first semester, 55 students? Which one sounds more threatening? Yeah, tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. I mean, that's like bulk communication. And yet the amount, we had a lot of friction when we used to travel and speak. We did. So I don't want to downplay the spiritual warfare that we went through with this, but this was a whole new thing. In fact, it was, if, if you were to give the value rating of like 10 to what we used to go through, this was like 500 to a thousand. This is so, the multiplier is so grand of what we were facing. It's like the devil wanted to take out this ministry before it even started. And so the term all hell broke loose, you know, that that is exactly what it felt like. It felt like all hell, like the enemy sent his best and his strongest to say, take it out. And so I have a lot of stories in there I'm not going to go through. They're not even very edifying, false accusation. I was accused of all sorts of things in this little period of time. It's like, all I'm trying to do <laughs> is start a training school, guys. Could you leave me alone just for a second? And even online, <clears throat> there was a lot of even before Ellerslie started, a lot of bad publicity and, yeah. and and just accusation against the ministry, and nothing had even had. Taken we didn't even place have yet. any students, <laughs> and they were calling us. You know how we manipulated our students and trained them in a certain way. And say, hey, we don't even have students. How can we be doing that? It was so bizarre yeah. what we went through and what we saw, but it showed us that this was important. Okay, you could look at it two ways. You could say, God, why me? Or you could say, this must be important. We decided to go with the latter. And so I, I want to finish with just banquet night because banquet night, May 31st, we decided it was May 31st, right? May 31st, 2010. I think. You think? <laughs> I'm, almost well, I'm holding you to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, May 31st, 2010, one of the most extraordinary nights of my life, 17 years of prayer. And I've been praying. If you remember, I originally called the, the vision. You have to go right back to the, the first episode in this series. I called it Men of Honor, but we changed it. Now it's called Ellerslie, which is the birthplace of William Wallace. So our statement that isn't posted is 
the birthplace of heroes, a place where mighty men and women of God are born. And so that night, I, I had always been praying for 12 young men. That was my original vision, 12 young men. Figured the number 12 has to be spiritual, right? And so I'd always prayed for 12 young women. My original vision that was written out asked God for 12 men that could be discipled and trained. God, build me into such a man that could train 12 men. And on that night, we had 43 girls in our first semester and 12 men. And even that was so profound to me to see God. And even that night, like before it started, we'd had some kind of septic backup in our house. It was a great way to start Ellerslie. Everything that could happen was happening. So we have a septic backup. We had to leave our house for like two weeks while they were doing some deep clean and hazmat outfits. And I remember our stuff was piled up. I didn't know how to find anything, but I had this burden that I find the original vision that I wrote out on paper. And Les is like, I have no idea where it is. And I hadn't seen it in probably 17 years. It's like it'd been a long time since I'd even looked at it. And I remember praying, and it was right before banquet night. And I was like, God, I don't have the time to look through all this. I just need you to lead me to it. And I remember I took a bin away, maybe two, went to the second row, removed a, a bin, and went to the next one down, lifted the lid, and it was sitting on top. It's like, okay. And I felt like God was just there with me as I was starting this after so much agony, so much faith, so much, so much prayer. And that night, I remember just that holy sensation of God's presence yep. and that, you know, how you're, you can say your life flashes before your eyes. It's like I saw 17 years and it was all bottled up and God was saying, this is what you get when you trust me. And I remember Hudson was five years old. And he was at our table that night at the banquet. And this is the first thing that ever happens in Ellerslie in a formal sense is I walk up onto the stage to address the, the arrivals and Hudson walks up with me. It was sort of, you know, he's seen me preach many times at that point, but he walks up with me. And I remember looking out at uh, this crowd of 55 students and our, our team, our staff, and, uh, all I did was cry. It was like, I couldn't speak. And all I did was cry. And people could think that I could just whip that up. I cannot cry. Uh, I wish I could, because I could be a more powerful communicator if I could add tears more often, but I can't manipulate them. It's like, I always say the spirit of God is present when I'm crying. And that's, uh, except for when I'm watching Anna Green Gables. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just cried for a long time. Uh, and I don't know how long it was. You were there. Uh, do you remember how long <clears throat> it was? Uh, I don't remember the cry. I know the evening went hours and hours and hours. It was yeah. such a pal palatable presence of the Lord. I mean, it was, it was yeah. beautiful, but it was minutes. I mean, it was yeah. it was a very long time. And I remember Hudson standing next to me, looking up at Daddy as he's crying. It's so precious to me to think of my oldest son being there as a witness to what God did. So he's looking up at Daddy crying, and he looks out of the crowd. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong with him. Uh, but even that's precious to me, that even that he walked up with me and he was a witness, he was standing with me in that moment is very, very precious to me. But that's the beginning. And it's the memories are such that, I mean, it's interesting. I remember Dan McConaughey telling me afterwards, Eric, I'm so sorry, it didn't record. The, the whole first night did not record, which I almost have looked at some of the key moments throughout history uh, that have not recorded. I look at it as almost like too sacred to capture. It's like, Eric, you're supposed to hold it in here. And that's the way I've had to look at that one because it was like, okay, one of the most amazing nights of my life and it didn't record. But at the same time, I look back and I say, okay, it was so special. It was so sweet, so precious 
that God was saying, no, this is something that just those that are present are going to hold. Uh, that's how beautiful it was. Amen. And I, Eric, would you just even speak really quick, just even a very practical sense? I mean, like, could you make this practical for those who are listening? Those who are walking through seasons of whether it's the 17 years of waiting or whether it's the, I have a vision and I, I don't know what to do with this. Could, could you just give an encouragement or yeah. a reminder of what does it mean to see God's faithfulness yeah. over, over the long haul? There is a voice in this world that says it is not viable. And I've heard that at every turn of my life, every turn. So if you're anyone out there is hearing that, uh, yes, it is a normal thing to hear because everyone is looking at the natural. They're saying, according to the natural realm, you can't do that. But you could look at the Christian life and say, according to the natural realm, you cannot live as a Christian. You cannot love. You cannot have joy. You cannot have peace that you know passes understanding. Uh, you can't live this life. And I would agree. I would say, according to the natural, it is not viable. But according to the supernatural, the God who actually has told us he will do it, faithful is he who has called us, who also will do it. He has not left us on our own as orphans to muster up this extraordinary life. He gives us his life. And that is the great secret of Christianity. And when you walk through these faith tests where the enemy is saying, you can't do this, this can't be done, and he's pointing at the natural, you might as well just agree with him. Yeah, yeah, according to me, according to my ability, it can't, but I serve God and he can and he will. Now, he won't always do it the way we think he should, and that's part of the dependence that we have is to say, okay, because in my story, it might be two or three years after I start praying. It's not 17. That's not in my story. I'm not coming up with 17, believe me. But, you know, I would give a little bit of time. It's like, God, could you train me for this? And he's like, yes, I will. 17. It's like that wasn't part of my figures, and that's where our trust and our confidence is in him, not in our plan. We sometimes mix up the two. We, we start, God starts something in us and then we make it ours. And then this is what he needs to do. And our faith is actually in something other than God. It's in a commission or a calling or a plan or a promise when it needs to remain in the promiser. The one who gave us the promise is the one we rest upon. And that is a key discipline of the soul that wants to walk by faith is that we continue to believe in him. And if he wants, just like I said in the previous one, call us to Nicaragua after preparing this in us for 17 years, that's his business and he can do that. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.